Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from Vitality Explorers. Please join us at VitalityExplorers.com for free information about how to enhance your physical, mental, social, and or spiritual well-being. As always on Vitality Explorer News Podcast, we start with a quote. And here is this week's quote, and it's from Sir Edmund Hillary. And Sir Edmund Hillary, you will remember, was the first person along with Tenzing Norgay to climb Mount Everest. And here's his quote. Quote, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. And this week on Vitality Explorer News, we're going to do three stories like we typically do. The first is why four friends may be optimal. The second is grip strength is predictive of vitality. And the third is how muscle burns fat. All right, so let's jump right into that first one. Why do four friends represent perhaps the optimal number of friends? Now, we may have zero, we may have 400 friends, we may have 4 million followers, but there's a really interesting study that goes into how many close friends is optimal for your mental and probably also for your physical health. And here's a spoiler alert. More is not always better. There seems to be a Goldilocks number of close friends. Now, we've talked about this before on Vitality Explorer News, uh, is that social connection is really crucial for both your physical and your mental well-being. Um, you know, the total number, number of connections or the closeness of those connections, however, is not really well defined. So a paper tried to answer some of these questions and they analyzed, wait for it, 38,300 adults from 13 different countries. All right. And here's a couple of their conclusions. Quote, formal social participation uh, was assessed by asking participants which of the following activities they engaged in the past 12 months. Number one, voluntary or charity work. Number two, attending educational training course. Number three, gone to a sport social or some other kind of event. Number four, taking part in a religious organization. Number five, taking part in political or community uh, related organization. So the researchers then used a scale from zero to four with a higher score indicating um, more frequency of social participation in at least one of those five activities that were defined above. Now you can look for the reference uh, on the Vitality Explorer News Substack and subscribe there if you'd like to uh, get this via email. Again, you can get the text message version of this by going to vitalityexplorers.com. Okay, now they also measured each person's social network size and they defined close relationship as, wait for it, here we go, um, quote, a person with whom they could discuss personal matters. Okay, a person with whom they could discuss important personal matters matters uh, represented a close relationship. So the total network size was the number of people who they could identify using that criteria. Now, the average number of close connections was 2.5. Only 3% had seven or more. So most people had around two or three connections. And then the paper looked at a couple different things. They looked at quality of life in a measurement tool, a validated measurement tool versus the, the network size. And this is, there's a very cool looking graph. I haven't seen a graph that looks like this up on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. Um, looks a little bit like a series of rainbows straightened out. But anyway, they, they found that the social network size around four or five was optimal for your quality of life. All right, so they were trying to figure out how often did they participate in this. Weekly seemed to be the number, number one crossover point. So again, four or five, 
closer to four from my reading of this paper. I think some people would say five, but certainly not higher than seven because this is the interesting fi finding. So that when they found that people had seven close connections, that led to a lower quality of life, all right? Especially if they had, had to, uh, connected with them more than weekly. So what that was interesting about is that they also looked at social network size in the context of depression, a similar type of graph. And then they looked at the crossover point of monthly versus weekly. And they found again, around four or five seemed to be the ideal number of close connections to decrease your risk of, of experiencing depressive symptoms. So, you know, if you look at this and you study it carefully, as I tried to, and I've read this paper three or four times, um, I kind of agree with the, the conclusions. And here, here are several of them. Number one, quote, our results showed that formal social participation on average predicted increases in quality of life and reduction in depressive symptoms. Okay, number two, an unexpected finding was that the individual reporting relatively numerous, seven or more close ties, formal social participation predicted an increase in depression symptom. This is counterintuitive result, excuse me, this counterintuitive result likely reflects the fact that there's a natural limit, a natural limit to the social network size in humans. And the third and final one is, quote, too much social activity becomes a stress factor, leading people to believe to, to being overwhelmed or experiencing feelings of guilt when social relationships are not tended to uh, due to the limited amount of time available for each social tie. Okay, so here's the Vitality Explorer news analysis and recommendations. So I think this is a well-executed ex study. It's large, over 38,000 people, and it clearly confirms the value of social interactive interactions for our overall social well-being or overall quality of life. It also interestingly provided evidence that depressive symptoms correlated with smaller networks and aiming to establish at least four or five close connections seems to be the Goldilocks amount of social interaction for close interactions. Again, those are people that you can share um, you know, important inform and personal information. And working towards that goal, I think, is a really important uh, uh, thing to, to do if you want to uh, be vital. But if you are going to have a close personal interaction with somebody, guess what? You need to be vulnerable, all right? Because you're going to be sharing that, that important personal information. And that means share, if you're going to share with that person, we've got to trust that person. So here's some very, very specific recommendations that I go over in my Vitality Explorer class, which I'm going to be doing this fall again at Stanford. Uh, I call it Energize, How to Live Your Most Vital Life. And here are the very specific recommendations. Number one. <laughs> Uh, establish a lineup of four friends, colleagues, or family members. These become your core connections. And, and just think of it as a, as a baseball starting lineup of pitchers, right? You need four, four starting pitchers, right? Cultivate these relationships. Fertilize them with your time and your love. And know that more is not better. So you almost have to sometimes weed out some people who are on the edge to, to spend more time so that you can have a deeper connection with four or five people. Um, number two is don't give up on having more close connections. Um, you know, just realize that having too many, specifically according to the data in this paper, seven, more than seven, may not be ideal for your physical or mental health. And here's, here's a third and final suggestion, is reach out to some, if you're lucky to have a bunch of connections and you're a super connector, uh, you might reach out to somebody who you think needs a meaningful connection, knowing that doing so will enhance their vitality and specifically 
maybe reduce their risk of depression, right? So I, I'd love to hear what people think about this. This is a very interesting study um, that was called, it's got a long name, The Moderating Role of Social Network Size and Temporal Association Between Social Participation and Mental Health. All right, so it's by Santini et al. And again, you can look at the, the abstract and the data as well as the very cool graphs on the Vitality Explorer News uh, Substack site. Okay, let's move on to something that I'm going to be continuing to hammer home, and that's that muscle matters. And we're going to go over two specific studies about why muscle matters. And we're going to start with something as simple as grip strength. And here's a very specific suggestion. I think grip strength is predictive of your vitality. Now, let me explain. It's not meant to be provocative. I think this that title is grip strength is predictive of vitality is backed up by powerful evidence. Now, we did 38,000 in the first study. We're going to do a published study of 40,000 for this. Um, there's also a little a link to a, sh a short video of why muscle matters on the uh, Vitality Explorer new Substack site. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please leave us a five-star rating uh, on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and please share this podcast uh, widely to en enhance people's vitality. So here's here's what they found in this 40,000 patient or person study. Uh, stronger grip was connected with, quote, improved cognitive performance, higher life satisfaction, greater subjective well-being, and lower depression and anxiety symptoms. Wait a minute. Whoa, crazy. Let me say that again. Stronger grip was associated with, quote, improved cognitive performance, higher life satisfaction, greater subjective well-being, and lower depression and anxiety symptoms. Wow, crazy. So how can stronger grip be so important? The short answer to that really right now is nobody knows for sure. Okay, but this study found, quote, widespread associations between stronger grip strength and increased gray matter volume that's in your brain, especially in subcortical regions and temporal cortices. And moreover, this is a quote from the paper, moreover, gray matter volume of these regions also cor correlated with better men mental health. Again, if you want to look at the graph, basically it's a straight line, stronger grip, better mental health. Stronger grip, better mental health. Hand grip also is crazy associated with things like frailty, falls, hospitalization, and literally all-cause mortality, meaning all risks of dying. So um, they also found that stronger grip was associated with better reaction time, health satisfaction, and memory. This is very, very interesting because grip strength can be measured very easily, okay? So your reaction time, your health, even your memory is associated with better grip strength. So the paper recommended using grip strength as a proxy for overall physical uh, fitness and a possible way to detect early impairment. Now, when's the last time you went to the doctor and had somebody test your grip strength? Um, the, uh, the authors really also suggested there's, quote, a need for increased awareness in clinical practice to incorporate muscle strength into routine assessment. Wow, I could not agree more. You can tell I'm excited about this because I'm an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. But we, when you go see your primary care doctor, they don't often or, or I don't even think ever measure your, your strength. But it's becoming more and more clear with tons of data that muscle matters. And I think this paper adds to that growing evidence that uh, muscle strength is related to your brain health, 
Um, we've also talked a little bit before about how muscle contractions lead to the re release of powerful, mo uh, powerful molecules. They're known as cytokines. These are specifically known as myokines because they're released from muscle. Myo equals muscle. And one of those is called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Another is insulin-like growth factor. Both of these are important for the survival of brain cells, learning, and blood vessel development. Now, it's not just your grip strength. It's also important to understand that your lower extremity strength also matters for your brain. And this is a, a paper that I often quote in my classes and to, to my patients is that a study of twins found that stronger leg strength was predictive of both cognitive aging and global brain structure. So I get to say in the office, I get to say to, to people, your leg strength predicts your brain power or leg power predicts brain power. Um, and, and this was a very interesting study in twins, but they found basically over a 10-year period that there was a lower risk of dementia in people between 50 and 60 if they had better leg strength, right? So the number one increasing risk for getting dementia is every single year you live, but if you had better leg strength, that decreased your risk. So here's, here's again the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendations. Number one, muscle strength is an under-recognized vitality parameter. And I do think grip strength can be stated according to the data as a predictor of your vitality. In fact, I think muscle strength may be the best predictor of your physical and mental disorders. Um, but here's, here's the kicker. Your muscle can be modified, right? It's not something that you aren't partially in control of. So I strongly, pun, pun intended, <clears throat> recommend resistance exercises for anybody that can tolerate it. And that means almost everybody. It's not well known, but, but your muscles can be modified until the day you die. So there's older studies that looked at, at patients that were in uh, nursing homes and couldn't get to the dining, uh, dining room. And they just did some rubber band exercises with people in their 80s and 90s. And they found a significant portion of these people who were, quote unquote, bed or room bound with resistive exercises after a six to eight week period of time could get down the hallway about 100 yards and go to dinner. So um, a couple things, a couple takeaways. Your musculoskeletal system is modifiable to the day you die. Muscle is predictive of both your physical and mental wellness. So check with your personal physician about what's best for you, but I would start today and do some arm, hand, and or leg strengthening exercises. Your future brain, your future body will thank you. Okay, post your comments about this. This is from this, uh, the study is, quote, uh, the study title is Associations Between Grip Strength, Brain Structure, and Mental Health in Over 40,000 Participants. Okay, that's... I was pu just published this year. Now, the final one we're going to talk about on Vitality Explorer News this week is how muscle burns fat. And uh, please sign up at vitalityexplorers.com if you want to receive this via text message. You can also subscribe via email at Vitality Explorers on uh, Vitality Explorer News on Substack. Um, and here is a very interesting sort of mechanistic article. This one's going to require a little bit of science, but it goes into the specifics of why exercise can help you, all right? And uh, we've known a lot about aerobic training or endurance training uh, and how it can be valuable for your heart, your lungs, your kidney, your livers, and your overall health. So getting out and walking, hiking, running, swimming, all that's helpful. The surprising question that has not been answered is specifically how does resistive exercise, which we talked about grip strength and leg strength in the last segment, uh, why is that valuable? And I think this post is going to go into the specifics 
of how muscle helps burn fat. All right, and this is following this principle in Vitality Explorer News that if we understand the science, we're going to be more likely to lead vital lives. So my hope is that if you understand a little bit of this science, you're going to do some more resistive training. So let's dive into this very dense but important scientific article about muscle and how it helps burn fat. Now, our muscles move our joints. That's, that's kind of an interesting, simple thing. That's Orthopedics 101 for those people out there. But a muscle connects to a tendon and then connects to the bone, and then it helps to move a joint, move your arm, move your leg, move your knee, move your hip, elbow or shoulder. It helps us lift up a cup of coffee, take a walk, and essentially just function. Muscles help you function in our daily lives. Again, we talked about this several times, but what's not well known, and I'm trying to beat this like a dead horse here, is that muscles release molecules when we contract them. These are called myokines or cytokines. And loading of muscle, doing resistive exercises with a weight, with rubber bands, sometimes even just your body weight, they release small little packages. These are called extracellular vesicles, big words, EVs. And they, they sort of pinch off and are released and they, they, they are signaling molecules, okay? And one of the things they do is these little signaling molecules that are released out of the muscle via these extracellular vesicles, little packages, uh, is to go to fat. And as, as, as we know, fat, also known as adipose tissue, stores energy for when we need it, uh, say when we're exercising or when we're fasting. And we break down fat. It's got a big fancy word, lipolysis. That's fat breakdown, or I call it fat burning in response to, to the release of adrenaline and its cousin, noradrenaline. Chemically, these are known as epinephrine and norepinephrine. But here's the essence of the paper. And I know this is a little dense, but there's a kind of funny cartoon up in the Vitality Explorer News substack that shows some guy doing some bench pressing. And then what happens to the skeletal muscle, the release of this, these molecules um, that can lead to the burning or breakdown of fat. Okay, now what this paper talked about is the crosstalk between muscle and fat tissue. So literally when you go exercise and you're doing resistive exercise, you're releasing molecules that are signaling um, fat to break down, or I call it burning, burning fat. And, and the, this paper was the first that proposed this novel mechanism and it makes sense, right? So if you're lifting weights, you're doing some sort of resistive exercise, you essentially are also burning fat. And here's some of the uh, Vitality Explorer News analysis and recommendations. Uh, number one, th this basic science paper, which uh, was entitled Mechanical Overload Induced Muscle Derived Extracellular Vessel Promote Adipose Tissue uh, Lipolysis. Say that five times really fast, okay? But this is basically how regular exercise helps burn fat. Uh, and again, number one, this is specific evidence that weightlifting or resistive exercise is a vitality enhancer because it doesn't just improve your muscle strength. It also releases molecules that help you burn fat. And then adding muscle resistance exercise to your aerobic training is crucial for anyone who wants to optimize their, their physical well-being. I've talked about this before in a variety of forums, but this is a form of stockpiling health. Now, we've been taught a lot to stockpile wealth, put, put money away in your 401k, your IRA, save money for a rainy day, but have you been told to stockpile health? Well, now you have, because when you do either resistive exercise, aerobic exercise, or eat well, or connect with somebody else, you're stockpiling health, okay? Always obviously consult with your doctor prior to beginning any, any regimen, um, but I think it's pretty clear 
that muscle matters based on this, this data and this evidence. Um, so I think I'd like to review a little bit about what we talked about today and then uh, remember our quote from Sir Edmund Hillary, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. And then make a, make a commitment this week to try to connect or reconnect uh, with one or two friends or deepen that relationship. And there's a couple ways you can deepen a relationship if you're trying to you know, become closer with somebody. One of them is what, what I call scary sharing. And that is just simply being vulnerable with somebody, telling them, you know, which is true of all of us, that we have issues that we need to address. The minute, the minute, the millisecond you become a little more vulnerable, that person knows that you trust them and they may be in need of talking to you. So they'll re reciprocate. Uh, the second way is just to listen to somebody when they're, when they're speaking. Put your phone away. Look them in the eyes. Listen with the intent of hearing what they have to say, right? And if you just do that this week, you're going to be you're going to be better, and you're going to develop that relationship. You're also going to hopefully get out there and do some something to improve your muscle strength, your grip strength, your arm strength, your leg strength, because it will help you in the long run with your physical and your mental well-being. And I think sometimes we forget that that you know we they are connected. Um, you know, talk therapy and medications are very valuable uh, in the context of trying to prevent or, and or treat uh, mental challenges. But if you want to be mentally vital, if you really want to be your most mentally vital self, you also need to get out there and do something physical. And something as simple as getting a little grip strength uh, device or doing a little bit of a, a curl with a five pound weight or getting some resistive bands is surprisingly effective in terms of helping your mental wellness. So thank you very much for listening to the Vitality Explorer News podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if you have, please, please leave us a five-star rating. Please share this with your friends, family members. And um, until next time, get out there and dare to be vital.